The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. One more time, let me say welcome to the Grove. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you before, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are closing out a message series that we have been in uh, called Say It. And the, the ideal behind all of this is looking at the topic of gratitude and what part that plays in our lives. And before we jump in, uh, I, I feel like there's something we just have to clear the air, all of us, uh, b- before we jump in. Because right around this time of year, there's like this rivalry that always happens right about this time of year, where, where each of us is usually put into one of two camps, uh, pitted against one another for, for our team and what we believe. And um, I'm not talking about the Huskies and the Cougars. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm not going to go there. I'm talking about white meat turkey camp and dark meat turkey camp, okay? There's the, 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 some of us, you got to reside in one of the two, and, and, and you can't be somewhere in the middle. In fact, uh, on our social media page for the Grove Church, we actually put out that question and had a lot of responses. But I got a captive audience here today, and I am curious uh, where you land on this. And so I want you to be bold as I ask this question, okay? Is if you land in the white meat camp of people of Turkey Meat, I want you just to raise your hands. You say white meat, right? Your slogan, white meat is the right meat, okay? That's fine. That's good. All right. All right. Go and put your hands down. All right. Those of you that would say you're in the dark meat, Turkey Camp, raise your hands, right? Dark meat is the smart meat. That's your slogan. All right, put your hands down. I'm about to, I feel like I need to confess something. I'm actually, I've been in one of these camps for a very long time, and I've kind of taken a step out of a camp, okay? And, and I'm going to admit it, I've kind of, for years, I have been a dark meat turkey guy, okay? And um, I've, I've actually slipped out and not into the white meat camp. I actually like to consider myself equal opportunity, okay? I like both. Uh, uh, types of meat, and this is the reason why. Two words, deep fried. People, if you haven't tried a deep fried turkey, you haven't lived. Everything is better deep fried, even at the fair, a stick of butter is better when it's deep fried. No, I've not tried that. But I'll tell you, I've been doing a deep fried turkey here uh, for my family. We've, we've, we've had several, we always have the oven roasted one. We've even had smoked along with it. Last year we had three turkeys. This year we only had two, kind of a big family. And, and I've been doing the deep fried. And I will tell you, the, the biggest complaint uh, uh, from dark meat people is that white meat is dry. When you deep fry turkey, you don't run into that problem, okay? So you got to try that if you haven't tried it before. Uh, but I do pray that you all had uh, an incredible Thanksgiving with you and your family. Um, we, we are finishing out this series. I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter stu- 2, starting in verse 14 in just a moment. James chapter 2. Starting in verse 14, always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. You can open up that smart app as well. Um, And as you're turning there, I want to give us a quick recap of where we've been. This has been a relatively uh, short message series. It's only three uh, uh, messages in this, and this is the last one today. And so in case you missed it, I want to recap a little bit. Of course, you can always go to our website, grove.church. You'll notice now when you go to that website, you get to choose your campus, Marysville or Snohomish. Um, For you, you uh, click on Marysville, and then you can click resource. Sources and you can find the vodcast or the podcast, watch that, listen to it, and catch up. Uh, but to, just to give us a quick recap on this, the first message in this series was actually titled, See It. And, and, and the basis of that message was a call to you and I to open up our perspective, our eyes, to see if gratitude 
is in and functioning in our hearts and in our lives. And really, it was a call to the perspective that each one of us views life through. Um, and, and just a moment, we're going to talk about this. I've actually got a video that I'm going to show you that helps to illustrate this a little bit. But it's the idea that any one of us at any given time, with our past experiences, the things that we do have and don't have, we can look at life through many different lenses. For this context, we could look at life, any one of us, through the lens of, man, I, I, the things I don't have. Right? I can look at the people that have more than I have, right? a better house, a bigger house, a better car, the better position, job, office, whatever it is, and we can live life looking at the things that we don't have. Or we can look at life through the lens of what we do have, comparing ourselves to the things that we have compared to others around us and even really around the globe that don't have as much. Here's a quick little video uh, that touches on some of this. Check it out. Obviously, we can look at a video like that, and of course, it's a little extreme wrapping all those things up. And yet, I think the point, if we stop and really think about it, again, to gather that perspective in that first installment of this message series of how we view life and really two opportunities when it comes to gratitude and thankfulness is things that we have. And one of the things that that video kind of illustrates for us is, I mean, they've got shoes wrapped up. He's got the light switch wrapped up. And yet, when we stop for just a moment and think about it. Many of the things that you and I take for granted every day, we never think about it, is the fact that we've got electricity, the fact that you've got uh, clean running water in your home, the fact that you don't have to go to an outhouse in your backyard in the middle of, right? We, we take some of these things for granted. And so the idea here is to stop and get perspective was that first installment on the view that we have on our life. The second installment last week was called Say It. Uh, and it was the, the idea that, man, you and I have opportunities every day to say thank you to people uh, for situations on which uh, they may help us or, 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 or give something to us in some way. And, and Nick had a line out of that message. Again, if you didn't hear it, highly recommend you go listen to it. Great message. But he said this, gratitude unexpressed is gratitude wasted. 
right? Gratitude that's not expressed to somebody is wasted. There is such amazing opportunity for us to encourage somebody else when they do something for us that would help perpetuate them to want to continue doing things for other people. But it also does something in our hearts when we do that. It causes us, when we express that, to want to reciprocate and do the same thing for other people that we come into contact with. Great message. Highly recommend you go listen to it. And today's title of the message is simple. I'm I'm springboarding off of that idea of actually putting into practice saying the words thank you to people. And I I titled it, Show It. I wanted to title it, Just Do It, but I thought Nike might sue me for royalties. So we're just going to say, show it. But it's the idea of, man, our lives, if we can grab a hold of this concept of gratitude. And this message series is not a message series on manners or politeness. Right? Many of us were trained when we were young, hey, you say please and you say thank you. It's not a message about manners. It's that if we can grasp this ideal of perspective, of gratitude in our hearts, it will change the way that we view and engage life. And so it's all about putting it into practice. I had you turn to James chapter 2 uh, a few moments ago. and We're going to read this together. Again, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's also the pastor of the church in the first century in Jerusalem. And James says this, starting in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one, of them, uh, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, James says. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or action is dead. And you might say, Ryan, this is great. This passage of scripture is great. James, love the book of James. It's right in your face all the time. But what in the world does that have to do with gratitude or thankfulness? And the purpose of the statement is this. I think over the course of the last few weeks, the ideal of gratitude in our lives is simple. I think we understand the reason we need to have it. I think we can understand out of the last two weeks uh, um, the, the perspective we should have on life and what that will do for us and those around us. It's simple and ideal, but it is difficult in application. It's difficult for you and I to actually apply it to our lives and see something change, which is why we come to James as our anchor verse, because James is, is clarifying something for us. If we're to believe the words of James, it's not just about what you and I believe. It's also about what we do. What James is saying is that our faith, our beliefs are not enough. That our faith must be combined with our works, with our deeds, with our actions. 
James is clarifying that it's not an either-or conversation. It's a both-and conversation. It's not like the white meat, dark meat camp, one or the other. He's saying it's not one or the other, it's both. And remember, James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Same time frame as the apostle Paul is traveling all over the place. He's writing letters, planting churches, and, and teaching and helping to teach the ways of Jesus. And he knows, uh, we're very familiar with Paul when he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he uses this illustration and uses the word faith and works or deeds. And some people then and still now are misunderstanding what Paul was saying, and James helps to give us some more clarification to the overall context. What James is saying is, yes, Paul said it's for by grace that you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that you can do or I can do to earn our way to salvation. You have to have, there's one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus. And some people believe that. But what happens then, happened then, and is happening now, is some people get, okay, well, that must mean faith is good and works is bad. And James is saying, It's not an either-or conversation. It's a both-and conversation. It's not like the camp that we talked about before where you have to pick a side. It's not that faith equals good and works or deeds equals bad. He's saying you need both. Yes, you can't earn your way to salvation. Nothing we could do to do that. You have to have faith, but faith without being accompanied by action is a dead faith. In essence, in layman's terms, James is saying the proof's in the pudding. You can talk the talk, but are you willing to walk the walk? And so in terms of gratitude, again, it's simple and ideal and in principle, but it's very difficult for you and I to actually apply it to our lives. James is saying our faith, our beliefs should shape and affect our actions. And the truth is with gratitude, it's about the fact that if it can take root in our hearts, if we can actually embrace it, it changes us on the inside and changes the way we engage life. And like James said, are our actions modeling what we believe and what our faith is? Because if we were modeling gratitude, if we had it at play and in place in our lives, it would produce two things. Two things that you and I could tell that we're in a good spot in terms of the relationship of how we view life and whether we're grateful for the things we have or not. Two things naturally flow out of our lives and our actions when we have gratitude. And the first one is this, is graciousness. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these two things down. The first byproduct of having gratitude at play and in place in your heart and your life is graciousness. I have a question. Are our lives, yours and mine, marked by extending grace to others in our daily lives? As James would say, has your faith translated to your actions? To be honest with you, many of us come from different places, different history, different situations. And to be honest, we're all probably at a different spot in that question of how often we offer grace. Some of us in this room may rarely, if ever, show grace to people. Some of us in this room may offer grace occasionally, maybe once in a while. Others of us in this room may show grace to others, I don't know, maybe some of the time, half the time, 50-50 maybe. Some of us in this room may even show grace to others most of the time. And yet the truth is that that none of us show grace enough of the time. Why is that? Why is showing grace to others so tough? I mean, certainly we know that we don't live in a culture that promotes grace, right? 
Right, the majority of our culture wants swift justice when somebody wrongs them, whether it's a big thing or even sometimes really little things. Even we get upset over seemingly little things, like maybe someone didn't turn their blinker on soon enough before coming over. Right, or maybe somebody came over into our lane with less room than we thought there should have been between us and the car in front of us. And although maybe realistically they didn't cut us off, some of us yell. Some of us flash our lights. I'm guilty of that one. I'll be honest with you. I'm not proud of it. Some of us honk our horn in a situation like that. Others of us lay on the horn, <laughs> keeping it there for miles down the road to make sure they know. And obviously, we see the stories where it goes even farther than that, even worse than that. This idea of grace, extending grace. Or maybe for you, you have that family member. Why, well, I can't believe she said that one thing about me in front of everybody at the family reunion, and I, I don't talk to her anymore. I've just written her out of my life. How dare she do that? The truth is we could list a plethora of different scenarios that you and I have experienced and experience every day. And the truth is we can feel justified in not extending grace because of what they have done. Well, they deserve it. They deserve my justice. They deserve my vengeance. They deserve for me to write them out of my life. It's not fair what they did, so I have the right to be upset. I have the right to write them off or not extend grace. That's our culture. That's what you and I have been raised in, the rights that we have. And the idea of grace isn't new to most of us, is it? For any of us that have put our faith in Jesus, at some point along the path to making that decision, we had to wrestle with the truth that we were either a man or a woman in need of a Savior. That because of our sin, that because of our wretchedness, we needed the grace that only can be found in Christ. Maybe for some of us, that moment of wrestling, that moment of salvation, maybe it was many years ago when we came face to face with the sobering reality of our sin, of our decisions, of our wickedness. And we came face to face with the decision and the understanding that that sin could cause us to be eternally separated from God. Maybe it was a long time ago for some of us. Maybe we've forgotten that moment. Certainly not forgotten it in our heads, but maybe we've forgotten it in our hearts. Because when we're reminded about that realization of salvation and how we were and the grace that was offered to us, it changes our perspective. We realize we would have been lost, again, forever separated. And I used the word wretched just a few moments ago to describe us in our sin before the moment of salvation where we exchange our sin for his righteousness as a free gift of grace. And some of you might have thought, wow, wretched. Seems, seems a little harsh, maybe a little extreme. You know, I'd offer that perhaps it's not strong enough. That maybe there's not a word in the human language that can truly describe our standing in sin. When we're reminded of this, our sin, our true wretchedness, that word grace suddenly can hold new meaning for somebody who hears that for the very first time or even a renewed meaning for those of us whom have heard it before. Because it directly reminds us of what Jesus went through for us. It reminds us of the high price that he paid for the grace that's available. When we remember that moment, that moment of salvation, it reminds us that he was mocked. It reminds us that he was humiliated in front of large crowds. 
It reminds us that he had a crown of thorns shoved onto his head in that mockery. He had a title, king of the Jews, and so they fashioned a crown for him out of thorns, and they shoved it down onto his head, those thorns piercing his brow, blood dripping down his face. It reminds us that he was beaten. It reminds us that he was whipped. It reminds us that he was tortured to the point that he was on the brink of death. It reminds us that he was nailed to that cross through his hands and his feet and raised up for all to see. And those that stood and watched, who days before had cheered his entrance into Jerusalem, were now the same ones that were laughing and reveling in his agony. And yet, after all of this, in the moment, while hanging there in excruciating pain, Jesus utters these words to God in heaven, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's grace. That's undeserved grace. Not after happenstance, not 20 years down the road, now I'll forgive them because time heals all wounds. In the moment, he offers grace to you and I. And when we're reminded of that moment of salvation that's available, when we're reminded of our wickedness and the things that separated us from him and the free gift that we're given, that byproduct should make us grateful, even if it was a long time ago. And in that moment of being grateful, we should then model. Freely we've been given grace. Freely we should give it away. Why, even in the little things like driving down the road, can we not offer grace to somebody? What about a neighbor with the yippy dog that annoys you? Or maybe they're not nice to you. Those are little things in the perspective of what Jesus went through and the grace that he offered you and I. A natural byproduct of gratitude in our hearts is graciousness toward others. So let me ask you the question one more time. How many of us, you and I, our lives are marked by grace extended to others? When gratitude takes root in our hearts, it produces two things. The first we just covered was graciousness. And the second is generosity. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you that involves another one of my favorite characters in Scripture, King David. If you want to turn there, it's 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. There's a lot of history that leads up to the moment that we're about to jump in and read. And we need to kind of understand that history to understand what's taking place. And so King David is the very end of his reign as king, and he's about to, and in the process of handing over the kingship to his son Solomon, as one of the last acts that he wants to do as king is the establishment of a firm-built temple. Remember, the Israelites traveled all over for years. They were a split nation for a lot of the time between Israel and Judah, right? There was battles that raged. There was moments when, when David stands up against Goliath that if, if David loses, every single Israelite is now a slave for the rest of their life. There's some big things that they faced. But now they're in a place. And as one of the last things that he wants to do is when they traveled from place to place, they'd set up the tent that was the tabernacle, right? The, the place of worship. And now he wants to establish a real one in Jerusalem. And so he summoned his whole kingdom together in pursuit of building that temple and asking everyone to give toward its completion. He lists off in the verses just before we jump in what he's given, right? From, from the actual kingdom's treasure, from his own personal treasure, from what his leaders underneath him have given towards this. And then it also lists what the people, the just every man, woman, and child has come to give to see this mission accomplished. And this is what the Bible says, starting in verse 10. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying... Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. 
Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen the joy, with joy, how willingly your people who are here have also given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. And then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. This is one of the many examples we could use in Scripture where we see that gratitude produces generosity. David and the whole kingdom were thankful for what God had done for them throughout all of those years and all that he had brought them through. To go back and list all those things that had been done under David's leadership would take too long today, but leading up to this moment, God had been faithful to them. They'd conquered their enemies like the Philistines. They found and established a home, and peace had come to their nation. They had much to be grateful for, and out of that gratitude, they gave generously. From their own pockets, they gave money, jewels, gems, and craftsmen stepped up to complete the work. Gratitude produces generosity. You see, when gratitude takes root in our hearts and our lives, again, we begin to view life through that lens of a healthy, true perspective of what we really have. It changes us on the inside on who we are and the way we live. And when it comes to generosity, obviously that's directly tied to the things that we have. It can be money. It can be our stuff. It could even be the position we have, the power we have our influence that we have. It can be a lot of different things. And the ironic part is with this idea of having gratitude is that many people believe they'd be more grateful. They'd finally be satisfied if they just had more. If I could just get to that next level, just if I could just get to that next thing as if achieving whatever next level there is is actually going to solve the issue. Right, here's some examples. Man, if I could just get that promotion to a management position, man, then everything would start to fall into place and, and, and I'll be satisfied. If I could just get out of renting and get the resources, I could actually buy my own home, then finally I'll be happy. If I could just break the six-figure annual income mark, then finally I'll have arrived. If I just had more, well, if I, as soon as I can, but if there's just... But the truth is, that never ends. It doesn't matter what the next thing is because as soon as you reach that, you want the thing after that. Many people believe 
that if they just had more, then they would be grateful, then they would be satisfied. But the truth is we know that many have reached the pinnacle of success in our world, of financial stability. They could have anything they wanted at the snap of a finger, influence, power, and it still wasn't enough to satisfy them. And that's because the truth is that money, position, power, all of those things will never be able to satisfy you. And let me tell you this truth. You and I have everything we need right now to be happy and satisfied, no matter where you're at. In fact, it almost seems like the opposite is true. If many people believe if I just had more, then I'd be happy. There are a lot of instances in which I see it played out in my own life and in others where it's almost like the opposite is true. The less we have, the more grateful we are and the more satisfied we are. Let me give you two examples. Anybody ever been in a desperate situation in your life? Ever been up against something where you're just like, man, God, I need you to show up. I'm desperate. It plays out in a lot of different ways for sure, in small and in big. Let me give you two examples and I'll be done. Let me give you a small one first. Uh, in elementary school, I was your typical elementary boy. I got in trouble a lot, okay? Um, and when I say in trouble a lot, it was not serious stuff. I was never suspended or expelled. I never got into drugs or, or, or trouble with the law or anything like that. But I'm your typical elementary age boy, okay? A mischief and trouble, talking too much, you know, being silly, doing stupid stuff, right? In fact, in fourth grade, it was so bad that my teacher actually in, instituted a, 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 something I had to do every day, which was to take home a slip that either told my parents that I was on task for the day or off task for the day. And then I had to have a conversation with my dad, which was super fun, okay? I remember one time, no, here's, here's how it plays out. I remember one time I got called in the principal's office. To be honest with you, I don't even know now, I don't remember what it was. All I remember is I was scared out of my mind. And I'm sitting there alone in the principal's office waiting for him to come in and thinking my parents are gonna kill me, my dad is gonna kill me, I'm gonna be grounded forever, I'm never gonna be able to watch anything again, I'm not gonna do anything again, right? I mean, I'm scared. Anybody ever been in that place where you've prayed a prayer or something similar to, God, if you get me out of this? I will never do that again. I will, man, I will, I will. I was thinking to myself, honestly, like, I will go back to class, which I think is boring and lame and whatever. I will study. I will get straight A's. I will pay attention. I won't talk to you. I'll do all my homework. I will be a model. God, if you just get me out of this. In moments of desperation, what we took for granted earlier, all of a sudden, man, man, just, just give me that to where I'm not in trouble and I'll be happy with it. If you've ever been in a place, and I've been there, where I've lost a job thinking, man, how am I going to pay for Am I going to lose my house? The thoughts are no longer, hey, what's the next big thing? Where, where, where do I upscale to the next thing? It's like, I'm just grateful for what I have. Help me not lose it. Let me give you a second scenario and I'll be done. This is a bigger one. Well, at the church that I was at before this, I was a worship pastor, and my wife and I had uh, some friends uh, that went there. In fact, he was one of my drummers on the worship team. And while we were there, their eight-year-old son uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and I remember meeting with him early on for coffee in that process of them finding out, and they were still trying to figure out how serious treatment, all that stuff, all the questions, all the chaos, all the worry, all of it. And he said something to me that I think is so poignant for us today. He said, you know, when something like this happens to you, all that other stuff ceases to be important or matter. The house, the car, the success, the pursuits, the vacations, whatever it is, and the only thing you, the only thing you think in that moment is God, I don't care about any of that other stuff. Please just heal my little boy. Please don't let him die. The health of our family, we take for granted. It's not until we're faced with a situation that we're really grateful for what we have, and that's not the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. He said, when the chips are down, you really discover what matters most, and you're thankful for all the little things you took for granted before. The last thing is this. 
If gratitude in our hearts and in our lives changes our life and our perspective, it produces graciousness, offering grace to people. James would say, come on, are your actions modeling what you believe? And number two, on the topic of generosity, the idea when it comes to that is it can be freeing for you and I because we so easily can get caught up into that perpetual never-ending cycle of trying to achieve more, trying to get to the stuff that we think will satisfy us when really those things never could. It is impossible to satisfy who you are. You and I have everything we need right now to be happy and satisfied. It's not about the next thing. In fact, the more you get, it's just the more that you and I are going to want. David had a lot to give as king, but the temple would have never have been constructed, the mission never accomplished without the generosity of all the people. I was talking with Nick in between one of the services here, Pastor Nick, and he said, you know what, our motivations, he's just reminding me, our motivation isn't what I can get out of something. It's always how can I help someone else find this thing that I've found, that salvation in Jesus, this grace that's available, that if we could get gratitude right in our lives, we could be happy right now, not some off day when we retire with a million dollars in the bank or $100,000 in the bank or whatever it is that we're shooting for. We could be happy right now. And everything we have is God's anyway. David clarifies it. God, when we give to you, it's like you've given me my allowance and I'm giving it right back to you. Everything is yours anyway. Here's the key. If you are living your life right now and in, in your honest truth, you say, man, I am not satisfied. I always, yeah, I think I'm on that cycle of just trying to reach that next. I'm always comparing myself to those that have more. Try something different. Try something different. I know it doesn't make sense in the mind. Well, Ryan, if I give my money away, how am I going to get more? No, no, no. Something happens when you're generous with God. Something happens with your resources, your ability, your knowledge when you give it. All of a sudden, the crazy part is, is he gives you more. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to be rich. I'm not saying he's going to double your investment. I'm just simply telling you, you'll be satisfied, you'll be happy, and you will find that you're never for want. The things you need will be covered. Maybe not all the things you want, but the things that we need. Gratitude when it's active in our lives, changes us from the inside, the way we view life. And all of a sudden, we can find ourselves happy and satisfied and content. But it's a choice that you and I have to make. I want to challenge you. Take a step. Do something different than you've done before to see if you get a different result. I promise you, it doesn't make sense. But I promise you, scripturally and biblically, it works in your life. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, this idea of gratitude, Help us, not just in the Thanksgiving season or Christmas season, to be thankful, but God, all year round. Don't let us have to experience a desperate situation to be reminded of all the incredible things that we have that we live in America right now, the things that other people in other nations wish they had, that, God, we could be happy, content, and satisfied because everything we have is in you. And, God, when it comes to those things, may we see acted out and lived out in our lives is graciousness towards other people. It's not about getting justice. It's not about they did this and deserve. God, it's about extending the same grace that's been given to us. And in generosity, God, I pray for each person here, no matter what is keeping us back, God, what is holding us back, what causes us to not want to give, whatever it is, out of fear, or out of seeing that it's been abused somewhere else, some other place, the reality is our freedom is right at our fingertips if we would just let go. Because the very thing that is competing for number one in our life to take your place 
is finances. The antithesis of generosity is greed. And while I wouldn't say any person in here is greedy, every one of us faces and struggles on a daily basis the idea of greed, that money and our stuff, our lives revolve around it. May we walk in the opposite spirit and find freedom in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.